0: We have a new fireman in Bryan College Station, Logan Jacobs. He, I, we've got Matt Brunson, I know uh, Kevin, uh, Jeremy. So we've got four, at least, that uh, are first responders and serve our community. What a blessing. Yeah, that we're, we're blessed, and that is good. And uh, a and, uh, wonderful wife and three blonde-headed children. So it is good, uh, and it is good to be here. I hope you're... Uh, You've had a good week. I do want to reiterate what Doug said. Uh, visited with David last week in April. They don't know the extent of the esophageal cancer that she has. They're doing a PET scan this Thursday. Uh, this treatment they're going to do is very much like Scott's. Twenty uh, consecutive, 28 consecutive radiation treatments. And then six uh, chemo. And so uh, just obviously pray for David and April and their family. And, uh so who how have much, I, I'm going to pick on Grace. Uh, she, uh, she broke her ankle. She had to have uh, some screws put in, and she's getting around pretty good. Don Vizi, he's in the choir. He had a procedure this week. I'm probably leaving somebody out. But the point is we have a lot of people, I think, is Wilsey here? Wilsey had a concussion, wrestling, and that was really wrestling, not wrestling. And so we live, and... Uh, when we face the things that come at us, we, we're reminded that, um, our heart and our mind, this spirit is to be led by our conversations, our communicating, communication with God in, in prayer. And so we have much to pray for Ada Gustavus passed away. We had the service here uh, on Friday and, um, it was a blessing to get to meet a lot of her family. Uh, this church does so many things. Well, and one of the things they do very well is serve uh, families in need. And we see that um, in, a, in a funeral service. In many ways, but obvious again, and I'm always thankful for uh, our church and the way we represent the Lord and we serve uh, him and others. So again, just to remind you, we've got much to, to pray for and thank God we can. Uh, this morning, our scripture and prayer reading is going to be by the uh, dead first, and as they're coming forward, I'd ask that you please stand and for the Lord's uh, reading of scripture and uh, and prayer. I, I gave Karen, she's got, they're all from the book of Romans, but she's got three passages to read, so she's got a little little work this morning. She's got her glasses too, Steve. So.
1: Okay, I don't know if you can hear me, I don't know if I have this close enough, Okay, I'll be re- reading from Romans today. The first um, passage I'll be reading is Romans 1, 16, and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then if you'll flip over to uh, chapter 3, 21 through 26. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, to which law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes, from faith, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the, re- through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to de- demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And then over in chapter 8, verse 31 through 35, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, now will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life? Is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword?
0: Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, let us rejoice in the good news. Let us accept your grace as you work to make us righteous for life and show us your way. Protect our first responders and our servicemen as they protect us. Give the families who have lost loved ones peace and help all who are hurting and grant them your love. And give the leaders of our church guidance as they prayerfully lead us forward into the new year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We had our men's breakfast yesterday, and uh uh anyway, you know I like to tell a good joke, and I know that always brings you a lot of joy. So uh Anyway, Kenzie, she does a great job. I think Grace has done that. But I, yesterday morning, Trace, uh, Trace kind of put it on me out there. Has some good, so I asked him, I said, would you have us just, you know, a few jokes for us? And he, he agreed. He didn't reluctantly, but he did. So Trace, you got to come up here, put you on the spot this morning. These are good. These are really good. So if, I know at least two of them. All right, so fire away.
1: What do you call a jacket that's on fire?
0: What do you call a jacket that is on fire? A blazer. A blazer. <laughs> okay.
1: Did you hear about the circus fire?
0: <laughs> this is good. Did you hear about the circus fire? No, I didn't. Tell me about it.
1: It was intense.
0: It was intense. <laughs> That's pretty good. Okay. One more. All right.
1: What do you get when you cross a cow and a shark?
0: Okay, I don't remember what do you get when you cross a cow and a shark?
1: I don't know, but I wouldn't want to milk it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know, but I would use good job. Awesome, thank you. That's good stuff. All right, enough of that. Okay, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. We are going to start um, a series on discipleship. You'll get an email on Monday, and that email, and you'll get an email on Monday next week. You'll actually get a paper. Uh, handout, but you will also get an email, and those emails in that paper handout will give you the week. Uh, you'll read a passage of scripture on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. There'll be bold print bullet points uh, in the email and on the handout that have to do with discipleship. I think we're at a pivotal time in our history here. I, it, I think it's certainly an appropriate time to uh, teach this series. It'll be at least 14 weeks. Uh, on discipleship, I, I hope and I believe that you 'll enjoy it. Uh, I, I know that God will be honored, and I think as a body will be edified uh, I, as an introduction to that uh, we 're going to start this morning in the first chapter of ephesians and I asked the youth group this morning, and their answers were uh, outstanding, and we had an outstanding group this morning, uh, but I asked them to tell me. Uh, What would you say if I ask you or someone ask you, what has God done for you? What has God done for you? And their answers were really uh, outstanding. They were very thoughtful. I think we had like 14 kids this morning. And so, you know, the first, well, he's given me forgiveness. And he's taught me how to forgive. And he's given me peace. And he's given me confidence. He's given me family and friends. And so, but then you get around to those final Three or four, and their answers were absolutely inspiring to me. They were good. Um, And each one of them obviously was correct. You could support them with Scripture. Uh, The passage that I'm going to be reading this morning uh, is going to begin in chapter 1 in verse 3. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoptions, uh, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he Purposed in him. Read that again. I want to read verse 8 and 9 again, uh, which he lavished upon us. This grace, his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. If you were to go through uh, all the books in the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, there's something that. Uh, is uh, really stands out in the book, uh, this letter to the Ephesians. You can read about the Ephesians in the book of Acts, uh, Paul's missionary uh, journeys there, his time there, uh, establishing the church there. and One of his mission trips, this was also known as one of the prison epistles. He was a prisoner awaiting trial in Rome. This was a letter that he wrote as a prisoner later on in his life. Uh, but if you were to just continue to read Uh, through the sixth chapter of Ephesians, one of the things that you would know if you were to take a highlighter pen and every time the personal pronoun he, him, his, himself, his self, there are uh, literally more than, uh, there's no other place in Scripture that uses the personal pronoun uh, in relationship to God and Christ of he, him, his, himself, anywhere in Scripture. Scripture. Throughout the book, you can't, there's no, it doesn't depart. Uh, One statement after another, one doctrinal position, truth after another, has to do with God, he, him, his, himself, his self, something that was obviously using that personal pronoun relating to God and what he's done. Out of that, here is, so if someone were to ask you, I mean, as Christians, I think we would give... um, Thoughtful answers, we would say, I mean, if somebody said to you, a, a family member or where you work, uh, or somebody who had observed you and maybe believes that you're a Christian, uh, if they were to ask you, what has God done for you? What has, you know, so you're, you, you're a follower of God, you're a disciple, a Disciple. a disciple. you're a follower, you're a, a, a learning, following person uh, of, of God and Christ, his son. And so if somebody were asking, well, what has God done for you? What would you say? Now, that's why this passage is so significantly important. I think if you took everything that these young folks said, uh, he's taught me how to forgive. He, he's given me family and friends. He's given me confidence, peace. Uh, all the things that they said th- being true, this is, I think, more than any place. And I, and I, and I say that as your pastor. I I believe more than any place in Scripture, if you really want to know the depth, the absolute depth of what God has done for us, this is it, this place right here. Everything, every he, him, his, himself statement uh, regarding what God has done for us, his people, and, and the world, can be connected through the entire Bible. The entire Bible. There are so many uh, uh, arms and spokes uh, that come out of these verses. You can do, if you understand what systematic theology is, uh, apologetics, hermeneutics, exegesis, all those big words we don't even talk about this morning, uh, but if you can take these, this opening statement and you can fully and completely, with great knowledge, spiritually, you can, you can connect the dots in the Bible about the teaching of what God has done for us, and not just what he has done for us, but the knowledge of what he has done. In other words, why he did it. What was his purpose? You say, well, you know, so-and-so did this for me. Or God did this for me. And I asked the kids, I also asked them, um, I said, so to make this easier for you, I said, for instance, I said, uh, Neely, what has what is, what is, uh, your dad done for you? And uh, she just very quickly said, well, he takes me everywhere. He just takes me everywhere. I mean, you, you do that for her. Okay. So it's true. So then, so what's behind that? Why does he do that? I mean, Really? You know, there's, yeah, well, he's a father. What does that mean? Because not all fathers do that, you know. Uh, but, but this passage that we just read is so significantly important. If you and I say that we're a follower of Christ, if we say that, what does it mean? I mean, really, what does it mean? And, and I want to know the why of it. Is well, I'm a follower of Christ. Why? Well, because he died on the cross for me. Okay. When he died on the cross, you forgive my sin. Okay. So those words, and they're true words, and they're, meaning, they're more than meaningful words. But this section and this series that we're going to go through, I hope and I pray um, that we, that God in his wisdom, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we all come away from this series of teaching have a, greater, a much greater understanding, uh, uh, the understanding, and the significance of it, and then uh, the purpose, the purpose of what God has done for us. That when we say these things, we really understand we understand what we're saying in such a way that it impacts us. It impacts our mind, our heart, our spirit. You know, we're all passionate about a lot of things, aren't we? We can just be passionate about a lot of things. And it, you may be passionate about something at age 13 or 14 or 15 that when you're 25 or 30, you're not, and so on and so forth. And then our life evolves, it changes, and, uh, and we get passionate. This right here, this launching point right here, this place in Scripture, is to me absolutely without question the the revelation, the knowledge, the foundation of the most important, the most important, significant, powerful, loving, merciful... <laughs> Foundation of anything that we should be passionate about. And that is why I follow Jesus. Why I follow the Lord. Based upon what he has done for me. And what I know about that. Because that's what Paul's writing here. The first thing that I want you to point to is verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I would like for you, if you're writing notes here, I would like for you to put there every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, you and I use the word every. Well, you know, well, oh, so-and-so, every time I see him, or every time we do this, or every time. And it may not be every time. It just may not be. We use the word every pretty loosely and we're not very exacting with our words on some occasions, and everyone's wondering, yeah, well, you know, oh, boy, I'll tell you what, oh, so and so, every time I do, well, probably not. Maybe nine times, out of, but not every. This word right here, when Paul writes this, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every. He's not saying, he's just not just an ambiguous every. The word literally means Every. It means all the totality. So if you're doing a list and I were to ask you, what has God done for you? And you were to say, okay, well, here's what I know. According to scripture, he has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does that mean? That's what this book is about. That really is what this book is about. You know, it's really hard, I think, for Christians maybe to say, okay, here, okay, well, let me think about that. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, you could all list your blessings. You could do that. You say, well, I've been blessed with a wonderful wife. I have been blessed with health. I have been blessed with a home. Uh, You know, I have been blessed, you know, whatever your list would be. This is different. The the Bible deals with two different planes of existence. It deals with the earthly, and it deals with the heavenly. Now, listen to what he said here. This is the key. This is the rich beginning of understanding in a way that is transformative. That you understand, this is what God has done. And the first thing is, the first thing that God has done, he has blessed you with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He'll go on to say later on in this letter our struggle is not with flesh and blood it's a spiritual battle and it's being fought in the heavenly places. Now when you start thinking about your life differently from this point not the blessings that I have here on earth but every blessing every blessing in the heavenly places. You know we say a verse like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13, well that's good. What is See, you can't make that claim without understanding at least one of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. That is a spiritual blessing to be able to say that by faith. When we say greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, that's a spiritual blessing from the heavenly places. It doesn't originate any other place. So those are just a couple. So we're going to start there. The first thing about what God has done for me is that, and the scripture also says, Paul, write the Romans, spiritual things are spiritually known. You and I have been called to be spiritual beings. When we're saved, God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're not earthly beings anymore. We're spiritual beings. And so... The first thing that he's done, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I am convinced, and it is in Christ, that one of the major struggles in the church, the body of Christ, is we don't understand this. We don't know this. And so here it is. He gives you the answer. You don't have to guess. Because the very next word in verse 4 is just. He says, okay, this is what he's done. And now just. So here's the proof. I made the statement and here's the proof. Here's your first heavenly blessing from a spiritual blessing from the heavenly place. Here's number one. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I have no idea. I, I, I do know a little bit about what you're going through in life. You know, we come to church and we smile and we shake each other's hands and we put on a good face and people ask, how are you doing? And I wish that we could all just be so transparent with one another that, you know, if we weren't okay, we'd say, you know, I'm not doing well. Things are not good. But we don't do that. When I read this verse, and I need encouragement, and every one of you, every one of you, every one of us is seeking encouragement. We are. Every one of us is struggling with something. Every one of us. Every one of us. And and there's different levels. Worry, anxiety. Just something. My marriage, my finances, my health, my family. I want us to try to understand something. This has become a point of contention in religious folks. It shouldn't be. But the very first spiritual blessing from the heavenly places is that in the heavenly places, God chose me. He chose me. He chose me. One of the great errors in Scripture is that we, 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 we think we choose Him. You cannot. You can focus on some verses out of context, and that's not what this morning's sermon is about, and really believe somehow that maybe we've chosen him. No, we haven't. We don't choose him. He chooses us. And this is just one place in Scripture. But let me tell you this: why that's so important. It should never be a point of contention. Why wouldn't you want that? What would be wrong with that? What would be wrong with that? At any level, what could be wrong with that? I, and when I need encouragement, the one thing that I am absolutely sure of, and you've heard me say this, church, I don't believe in coincidence. Even in the most smallest, uh, what appear to be innate things sometimes. But I have, I have known and become even more convinced that the spiritual blessing, one of them, from the heavenly place, not from men, is that God chose me. He chose me before the foundation of the world. Do you really believe that God is sovereign? Do you really believe that he's omnipotent? Do you really believe that he's omnipresent? And if you believe that as creator, he knew you and I before he formed us in our mother's womb. And that's, I could go on and on. But how much of a God do you believe the God our God is? Are there any limits that he has? And what would they be? Is he fragile? And where is he fragile? Does he lack knowledge? And where would that be? How big is your God? Do you completely trust him? And if you do on the basis of what? I will tell you why I completely trust him. When I read what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and at the end of that chapter 1, he said, let me tell you who God chooses. He chooses the foolish to confound the wise. He chooses the weak to overcome the strong. He chooses the despised, the debased, the ones that are not, so that no one can exalt himself. So not only do I find comfort in the fact that he chooses, he chooses like no one that you have ever known chooses anything. There's not a person in this room and in your breathing and in your knowledge and in your existence that would choose the way God chooses. There's not one, not one that don't exist. I, even the very best of us, in Romans chapter 5, you know, this great word that Paul writes to the Romans, he said, you know, somebody, somebody, somebody might die for an ungodly per- or a good person. said, somebody might die for a good person. You just might. And then we, maybe we would. Maybe you'd say, you know, that person's worth dying. I could lay down my life for them. I might die for my wife and my children. I may die for a, a very good friend. maybe. He said, but then he said, but God demonstrated his, God demonstrated his love for us. And the very harsh Greek word there. And if you're reading in some translations, it'll say that while we were yet sinners, I almost hate that word because we don't do the word sinner justice. The genuine Greek, the, the original Greek means that while we were wicked. Sinners. And he had already, you read the passage, I read to you this morning, chapter three, it says, verse twenty-three of Romans said, We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You ought to begin reading at the first of that chapter. And that first of that chapter, in chapter three, says, No, there's not one. There's not one. There's not one. There's not one, not one that has ever done good. There's not one of us who have ever searched for God. It's right there. He's quoting right out of the Psalms. You know, we, we it's so important to us and it's not from the Bible, and it's not from God, it's so important for us to just try to kind of elevate ourselves. To think, you know, that basically we're pretty good. No, we're not. We're wicked and we're lost in our sins, and I know that's not a really popular message and doesn't make you feel real good, but now put that in light of who and what God chose and who he chose and when he chose. Before the foundation of the world, he said, you know what? I'm I'm going to choose him and her and him and him and him. And, I'm gonna, and it won't be on the basis of any good deed that they've done or how smart they are or, or what they can do to improve the world that they live in. It'll only be based upon the knowledge, will, sovereign, and I can trust that. Oh, I can trust that. I could never trust the way you choose. And you could never trust the way I choose. I'm sorry, but you couldn't. I try to do it. I want to do it. But you can't. But you can trust him. Oh, baby, you can trust him. If he could allow his son to become sin, because I love the little children's moment this morning. As you said, who is sin? And somebody said, Jesus. You know, that was a correct answer. The scripture says he became sin. He became sin. Would you make that choice? Could you make that choice? Why would you make that choice? I trust, I trust and I find encouragement and it is a spiritual blessing from the heavenly place that God chose me before in Christ, before the foundation of the world and that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. I like that. We know that we cannot be holy and blameless. We cannot do that. Just read the seventh chapter of Romans. Paul says, why do I do the very thing that I don't want to do? The good that I would do I find that I cannot do. I find then that the principle of evil dwells within me, the one who wishes to do good, O wretched man that I am who will free me from this body of death, but thanks be to God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Romans 8 and 1, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We can be called saints. We can be forgiven. We can even, we will, before the judgment seat of God, in all of our frailty, And all of those things that Paul just revealed about himself. You know when he was a young apostle? I've said this before. He said, I'm the least of all the apostles. When he was an old man, he said, I am the chief. I am the chief of all sinners. And I have to die to sin daily. Oh. I wish that the church would fully embrace that about ourselves. But he is holy and blameless. And in Him, I am holy and blameless. But it's on the basis of one thing in love. In love. Love covers a multitude of sins. God is love. Perfect love drives out fear. But it's His love. It's not your love. And it's not my love. It's the love we receive and we become receptacles of. It says, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the holy spirit romans 5 that's the spiritual blessing because he chose me trust god to choose trust him to choose oh don't 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 get upset about that do don't make that a foolish doctrinal place where you need to take credit for something that you and I can't a dead person cannot choose god we're dead in our sins An unborn child, that's why Nicodemus had a problem in in the third chapter of the Gospel of John when he goes to Jesus and and, and he wasn't sure about who he was and he has this great conversation with him and he says, well, you know, I, I want to know about eternal life. And Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he can't. Well, how can a man be born again? John three sixteen that great verse. Uh, listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And he said, but then he talks about that birth, that birth. He said, ooh, let me tell you how that happens. Unless a man is born of the water and the spirit. Yeah, he's got to be reborn. Well, he said, well, how can a man reenter into his mother's womb? That's being born of the water. It's a natural birth. He said, a man can't, you can't do that. And Jesus said, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Only God can give something that is dead life. Only God can take the dead birth, physical birth person and reborn it spiritually. You can't do it. I can't do it. So there it is. Now, verse 5. He predestined us to adoption. As sons through Jesus Christ. (laughs) He chose us in Christ. He predestined us. He predetermined us to adoption. As sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the kind intention of his will. You know the kind intention of your will and my will has limits. What's that saying We say the... uh The path to hell is paved with good intentions. Your kind intention and well, my kind intention and well, is limited. I don't know at what point the car would have run out of gas, but I don't believe There's enough kindness in me and intention in me that I would allow my son to go before ungodly religious people who had conspired falsely against him. I don't believe I would allow my son to go before a weak, wavering, corrupt political person like Pontius Pilate and endure questioning and that he would remain silent. I don't believe that I would have allowed my son to endure the beating and the whipping and the brutality of the Roman cohort. and I don't believe that. I not only don't believe it; I would not have allowed it had I had the power to stop it. It's hard for me to say this. I do not believe that there's enough kind, intention, and will in me That I would allow Roman centurion to drive spikes through the son of the, the, the body of my son. I don't. I don't believe it. And my son is is, my son is a sinner. And he's flawed. And he's. What has God done for you? He chose you before the foundation of the world. He predestined that He would adopt you. Now, I've never adopted anyone in my life, and we've had families in this church that have gone through the the, the decision-making of this is a child that needs adopting. And there's going to be a sacrifice in my life. But there there is a love in me that could only come from God that would say, I need to adopt this child. This child needs intervention and salvation and nurturing and love. Continue on, verse 6. So, just as He chose us, verse 4, and He predestined us through His Son, why? Verse 6 To the praise of the glory of His grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace. That's what we're doing here this morning. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. I'm sharing from my heart in the spirit of scripture that if you want to know what he's done and why and what his will was, it's to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now listen to this church, I want you to hear this. Powerful word here. Which he freely bestowed. I don't want yours says the New American Standard says, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now, all of you have probably given something to someone. That, you know, we, 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 uh, we define grace as, you know, it's unfavored merit. that somebody gives you something you couldn't earn. We just agree with that. But I don't know if you fully understand this about grace. This word bestowed. So it had to do with royalty. In other words, a, a king. We don't think in terms of kings. But the king is sovereign over his domain and his people. And he would decide that I'm going to give a peasant something. A peasant that has no ability, if he lived to be 100 years old, he would never have the ability to uh, own something I'm going to give him. But it's more than that. It's a word that has to do with secured. So I may give you something. I I might. You know, Don. I'll give you something. don it's something very special to me. She couldn't earn it on her own. I'm going to give it to you. And then you might, I don't know, maybe you'll lose it. Maybe you'll use it poorly. Maybe you won't really even fully understand the significance of it. You might like it, but you couldn't earn it, and I give it. But not only did I give it to you, I secured it with everything and all the power and authority of the king. I want you to think about that. It's not just the grace that he gave us. He has secured that grace as the king. That so there is no. We read it. Romans 8. There's nothing that can separate us. Nothing. No, nothing. No height. No depth. No width. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Even though we've all sinned and we're fall short of the glory of God. God has not only given you grace. God has secured that grace. He's bestowed it. He's given it to you with all the authority and the signature and the ownership of the king. It's like you're the king yourself. Now, I don't know what you think about that. I love grace. But not only has he given me grace, he has secured it. And there's no power, no force, no thing anywhere in all of creation that can overcome what the king has secured. He chose me. He predestined me according to His kind intention. He did it in love to His Son. And you know what else He did? He richly gave me grace. And He has secured that grace in such a way that you have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. His grace is my grace. The King's grace is my grace. So, keep on. He bestowed on us. Mm. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. What has God done for you? There's a story in the 7th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. There's a prostitute that comes to uh, a Pharisee's home. Simon is the name of the Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law. She's a prostitute. He's a prostitute. It's quite a picture. I don't know if any of you have ever known a prostitute. I don't I try to shout away from the dramatic. There is a time uh, that there are things, I weighed this, I prayed this. I often think about the congregation uh, when you're teaching or preaching and obviously your experience. I don't know if any of you have ever even known a prostitute. I remember in 1985 when God saved me. I had the blessing of some wonderful preaching and teaching. And I had never read this story. And I remember in a Bible study with the preacher. uh, And we were studying the Gospel of Luke. And we got to this seventh chapter. And this very picture. And the preacher mentioned, he said, I don't know if any of you... um, And I want you, I want to be very careful with this. Have ever, if you even know a prostitute. And I couldn't speak up because my mother had been a prostitute, my biological mother. I I found that out when I was 14. that passage of scripture has been a great deal to me over the years because the pharisee said in his mind he said if he knew what kind of woman this was if he knew what kind of woman this was she was crying she was weeping and cleaning his feet if he knew jesus knew oh he knew He knew. Church, I want you to hear this. In this truth lies the truest true of our condition as the church and how important it is to know uh, what God has done for you. Because Jesus responds to the thoughts of Simon the Pharisee. says, let me tell you how this deal works. And the culmination of it was he who has been forgiven little loves little. He who has been forgiven little loves little. And he who has been forgiven much loves much. I don't know how much you love God. I don't know how much you love Jesus. But I know that if you and I are to fully understand every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places, we better understand that, yeah, He chose me before the foundation of the world. He predestined me as an, He was going to adopt me through His Son. All of this was done because of His kind intention, His will, and His love. His rich grace has been secured by the King. And I have Redemption through his blood. I don't know that we fully I would I'm going to say it. I do know. I believe the single biggest problem for two thousand years in Christendom is that we've not fully understood, embraced, and known in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The church is full of Simons. The church is fully ready to embrace my own level of righteousness versus the obvious sin of a broken brother and sister in Christ. We know what a prostitute is. Jesus knew. And when we read a passage that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know what that means? Or are you just a pretty good, you're just a pretty good guy. You're a pretty good guy. You're a pretty good person. I mean, I know you had to forgive me, but it wasn't that big a deal. You wouldn't necessarily say that, but we say it by our actions in the way we treat other people. In the way we judge other people. In the harshness that we have towards other people. And we do it. I do it. I'm not pointing finger at you. The scripture points... A devastating, echoing, soundboarded voice towards us in this passage. And you want a healthy church? I'm going to tell you what a healthy church is. Here's a healthy church. Here's a, here's a, here's a discipleship church. That's why we're doing this. This is a discipleship church. This is, this is, yeah, I want to know. You want to know if this church is a follower of Christ? You want to really know if you're a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ? How easily are you offended because somebody insulted you or hurt you? Put it in light of this passage. How easily are you angered at another member of Christ? How easily are you upset at somebody that you go to church with because of an obvious flaw in their life? Now I'm serious, folks. You know who uh, the most forgiving and least offended people in the world are? 100% of the time. The people that get offended, the, le- the people that gossip the least. I had the greatest example that any man could ever have. I really did. I just truly did. I didn't understand the significance until I was up. My grandfather. My grandfather, who you talk about, man, whoo, that man was a Christian. And he was a Christian because I know that he knew this. And the reason I know that he knew this was that he used to say, if you don't have something good to say about somebody, don't say it. And he did it. He lived it. Do you know, that man was thankful all the time. He just was grateful. He really was. That's the Spirit of Christ. It's the, the, the gifts of the Spirit in Galatians. And I see the struggle in the church. I see my own personal struggle. I get offended by another Christian's failings. And I feel like that gives me the right to gossip about them. It justifies my position against them. And it says to me that I don't have enough gratitude in my heart for the redemption of my sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. It says that I don't have enough gratitude in my heart for the redemption through his blood, for the forgiveness of my sins according to the riches of his grace. And then finally, this is the verse that causes me more trouble. This is the most problematic verse that your pastor has in all of Scripture. Every time I read this, it brings me to the same point. Mm. Which he lavished upon us which He lavished upon us. Now that's a tough one, but here's the tough, tough, tough one in all wisdom and insight. There's not a single verse in this whole book that causes me more trouble than that verse. Not one. Not, not, not one. I like talking about grace and redemption and forgiveness through His blood, and I love the fact that, man, my sovereign God Chose somebody as foolish and debased and weak and despised as me. He's adopted me because I, you know, I wasn't worth adopting. I love all that. I love the kind intention of his will. I love all of that. I just think it's so outstanding. But this word lavish, and let me tell you. So has anybody in here ever had, ever been had lavished? I mean lavished. I mean it's lavished. Do you know what that means? It means we've all probably had a birthday party. And right now, whoa, baby, in Miami, there's some people getting lavished upon. And there's a bunch of football players and coaches and, man, it's a lavishing experience. All the attention of the world and the praise and the honor and the glory and the cheers and the first class everything. I watched an interview this morning, church, bear with me. The guy that is the groundskeeper for the Super Bowl, he did the very first one 50 years ago in Kansas City. He's 90 years old. He's a feisty little guy. They start growing the grass for the Super Bowl 18 months ahead of time. So this grass that's on the field today, they began to grow it 18 months ago. Grass. Just gra- for a football game. And he was a really neat guy, 90 years old. They were interviewing him. And uh, you know, just the, the, the grass. Hmm, that's lavish. Now, there's a great amount of money, though. So we live in a free, you know, free enterprise. You don't mind doing something like that because, man, a lot of advertisers and people. There's going to be a whole lot of money made. So there's a profit and loss column. Now, you just think about the prophet-in-law's column that God and what he did, because it said he lavished. I have had had one time in my life that did not make sense to me. And Paul and Melinda were there. I was uh, 35 years old. I had graduated from college. And I had no idea that this was going to be done for me. They had a graduation party. And I went to this party. Some people at our church, just bear with me, and I have never. In my, I, people have treated me nicely. I, I get wonderful things, and it's just good, and I'm thankful. But I had never in my life. And I remember thinking, you know, I had graduated from college, and that these people. I don't know how much money they spent. I don't know what they. They got the good silver out, and they had my family from Paul and Melissa and friends and and I. Man, I thought I would. I who I'm nobody. Less, it wasn't even ten years ago. I was in prison, and I felt like I was being lavished upon me. Now, I want you—that's okay. May, I want you. The reason I shared that with you because I want you to think maybe somebody has lavished something upon you. Let me ask something: What have you done, or I done? What have any of us done? Because I could say, you know, I went to college. In three years and 11 months, I graduated with honor. Boy, that's i patting myself on the back. I've been serving this church for several years. They probably had, maybe they felt in their heart they had a reason to lavish this. Let me ask something. What have you done? And what have I done? to have the riches of his grace lavished upon us. I don't know anybody. I did a funeral yesterday. I did a funeral on Friday. And we talk about, especially if they're a Christian, you know the good things that they've accomplished in their life. And I I think we should. But I have never met anybody in my life. I don't know a single soul in my life. I don't know one. And I've known some awful good people that are worthy of the rich grace of God to be lavished upon us. I I don't know one. But he he did it. And here's the problem I have. And this will be quick because I don't get it. This is the problem I have. I don't have a problem with him lavishing it upon us. I mean, But it says, this church, I don't know if this, it says, he did it in all wisdom and insight. That's what we're going to be talking about the next 14 weeks. The rich grace that God has lavished upon us in All wisdom and insight. Paul writes to the Corinthians that the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. The wisdom of man is foolishness to God. And the wisdom of God is the message of the cross. I believe with all my heart that this church is going to be strengthened. I believe it. I believe with all my heart this church is going to be strengthened. As we go through this series. But but it's going to be based upon us. You and I understanding. That statement. In light of you and I now being a disciple. A follower. I just believe that. Thank you for your attention. Let's pray. Father in heaven. I long to. I long to have some ability to understand the wisdom and insight, all of your wisdom and insight that would bless each of us with every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places. In such a way, Father, I, I can say before you, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm thankful and I'm grateful. And I believe that it can make sense to us. And I believe that you want it too, Father. And I pray that we as a church embrace it and that we come to long to know and explain your rich grace and the way you have lavished it upon us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen.